And we're studying the book of Isaiah on Sunday mornings, going through and sharing several things with you from the book of Isaiah. I want you to understand the book of Isaiah is written 700 years before Christ ever came. And he's, it deals with the history of Israel and God's dealing with them. And we could learn lesson. There was a book written many years ago by a man by the name of Gibbons on the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire and how that great nation grew and how it deteriorated from the inside and ultimately collapsed. It was not from outside pressures. It was not from outside governments. It was not military armaments that destroyed Rome. It was their own deterioration of their morals and their resolve and their character that destroyed them. And any nation who turns from God, the Bible says, God will turn into hell. And so we need to pray for America and pray for our country. We ought to learn a lesson from the nation of Israel. I repeat quite a few things. I hope you'll get them in your mind to understand a little bit of the perspective of what's going on. The nation of Israel is made up of 12 different tribes. After, the, after King Solomon, the kingdom divided. And the, two, the ten tribes to the north became known as Israel. The two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, were identified in the word of God most of the time as Judah. And uh, God dealt with them. The ten tribes to the north immediately went into idolatry when they separated, when there was a division of the, of the nation. And consequently, God brought judgment on them. He sent the Assyrian army. And those, all those ten tribes were taken into captivity. When you read your Bible, you'll read 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. That, that gives a history of all that goes on in the nation of Israel. Then when you go and read the prophets, you can take each one of those prophets and plug them in somewhere in Samuel or Kings or Chronicles. And you'll see them as they were preaching and ministering in those days. And Isaiah is one of those prophets. He preached prior to the fall of the northern kingdom, continuing on in uh, to the captivity of the southern kingdom. In the book that you're looking at now, chapter, or the chapter, chapter 29, he is addressing the city of Jerusalem. And what, when Isaiah preaches and he shares uh, the, a prophecy, always keep in mind there is a near view and a far view. There's something that was a, a, applied immediately to the nation of, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem, as well as to the nation of Israel to the north. And also, he's looking down through time. Because these preliminary battles and these initial battles, the coming of the Babylonians or the Syrians to take the northern kingdom captive, and their assault on Jerusalem, and, and after that, the Babylonians who come and will ultimately take the southern kingdom in captivity, all of those are four views of what's going to happen in the end time. Now, we are fast forward now, 700 years after this prophecy, Christ was born. And here we are, 2008, over 2,000 years since the birth of our Lord. But what he's prophesied in this book is impending and beginning to happen even now. In the book of Isaiah, he prophesied the birth of our Lord. He said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He prophesied about the virgin birth of Christ, and that came to pass. And what he prophesied about Christ and all the detail of his, of his birth, and then ultimately of his death, Isaiah 53, it describes his death in great detail. He also prophesied what's going to happen in the day that you and I are living. And that's going to come true as well. The nation of Israel back in the land since 1948, 
and they are in in an awful uh, situation now, encompassed about with enemies on every side. And even America, who stood with them so long now, has just recently agreed to fund their enemies many millions of dollars that will not go to build infrastructure. It'll go to build more weaponry to fight against the nation of Israel. You can mark that down. But God has his hand on Israel. He's protecting them. And God has a plan. But there's coming a time that there will be great armies All the armies of the earth will go against Israel and God will ultimately deliver them. Now, what's in view here in chapter 29 is that battle in the future as well as an immediate battle that's going to happen very soon. The northern kingdom will fall to the Assyrians and Sennacherib and his armies will come down and they're going to encircle the city of Jerusalem. And that's prophesied here. But God miraculously will deliver them. It's not going to be by their weapons. It's not going to be by their armament. It's going to be by the hand of God. The death angel will go through that army of Sennacherib. And when they wake up the next morning, there'll be 185,000 dead Assyrians on the ground. And they are tucked tail and run. Well, the same thing's going to happen during the, the great tribulation period when all the forces of Antichrist come against Israel and God divinely intervenes in, Jer- in Zechariah chapter 14 and God will step in and God will bring great destruction as he comes back in what we call the great battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. He'll descend from heaven with a, on the white horse and we'll come with him and he'll fight against all the enemies of God and of Israel. Israel at that time. And the Bible said the blood will flow to the horse's bridle in the valley of Megiddo. Now all that's pictured for us here in this passage of scripture. But that's, that's past and future, maybe not so far future, but he also has an application for us today. So if you listen, let me share with you chapter number 29 of the book of Isaiah. Woe unto Ariel. Now that's the first time in the Bible, Israel's referred, uh, the nation, the, the city of Jerusalem is referred to as Ariel. And he, re, he mentions that, and I'll, I'll make comment about that in a minute, but he's talking about the city. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet will I distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. And it shall be unto me as Ariel. And I will camp against thee round about and will lay siege against uh, thee from a mount. And I will raise forts against thee. Thou shalt be brought down and shall speak out of the ground. And thy speech shall be low out of the dust. And thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground. And thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like shall be uh, like as small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away. Yea, it shall be at an instant suddenly thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquakes and great noise and with storm and tempest and the flame of divine fire, and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel. Even all that fight against her and the munitions and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth and behold, he eateth and he awaketh and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth and behold, he drinketh, but when he, but he awaketh and behold, he is faint and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Zion. Stay yourselves and wonder 
and cry ye out and cry, they are drunkard, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned saying, read this, I pray thee. And he said, I cannot for he sealed. The book is delivered to him that is not learned saying, read this. And I, I pray thee. And he said, I'm not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of the prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works that are in the dark. And they say, who seeth and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as a potter's clay. For shall the work say to him that made it, he made me not. Or what shall the things framed say to him that framed it? Hath he not no understanding? Is it not yet a little while and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the death hear the words of the book. The eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught. And the scorner is consumed and all that watch for iniquity are cut off that make a man an offender for a word and lay a snare for him that reproved in the gate and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore, thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children and the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that err in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmur shall learn doctrine. Will you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. And I pray God the Holy Ghost right now would speak to hearts. And God, I pray that not a man or woman or a boy or girl in this building would leave today without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. God, there is a deliverer. There's somebody, regardless of what enemy comes against you, who can deliver. And God, I pray God you'd help people to understand that. Help them not to depend on their self, not to depend on flesh, not to depend on their wisdom nor the wisdom of anybody else but God help them to fall wholly on the grace of God this morning and be born again by the grace of God and know you I pray God for your people that God you'd help us to love you and God to serve you I pray God for real revival among God's people God speak to hearts now bless your people help us to leave here shouting help us to leave here rejoicing help us to leave here armed with truth to go out and tell others about Jesus and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus name Amen. Here he turns his attention to the city of Jerusalem and he calls it Ariel. Ariel has a twofold meaning. It means the line of the Lord 
or it could mean the altar of the Lord. And both cases, it has an application in this particular passage. But he's telling them about what's going to happen. They have sinned and the Assyrians are coming, but he's going to deliver them. That's all pictured for us here in this passage of scripture. And I told you it also pictures when the nations of the world come against Israel in the book of Revelation and God drastically and dramatically intervenes and delivers them out. I want you to notice, first of all, as we go through just quickly, the distress of this great city the distress of it. He says to, about this city, he begins to talk about it. And he says of this great city, it's where David dwelt. It's where David was at. They, he reminds them of their spiritual past. While David was not a perfect man, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. And after David came Solomon, his son, and he was the king of priests. Jerusalem means the city of peace, the, the place of joy and peace. He reminds them of the spiritual heritage. David, who loved the Lord and sought him with all of his heart. David, who learned how to repent and get right with God. Here's a place of spiritual blessing. And it, it's sad that most of the time around many church houses, you have to point back in the past and say it's where David dwelt. Back then is when things were going good. Back then is when God was blessing. Back then is when people walked with God. I remember the time when the house, church house was filled. I remember the time when people wept around the altar. I remember the time when folks got saved. I remember the days of David. I remember when God's presence was real. And most of the time, most people, all they can do is reminisce in the days gone by. God is reminding them of their spiritual heritage and what they used to have. But now here's what he says. He said, now you go on, you add year to year, year to year, year to year. You keep on in your normal routine. He said, what you're doing is an abomination to me. He said, you can offer all the sacrifices you want. You can offer all the sacrifice. Notice he said here, he said, let them, let them kill sacrifices. But you know, they're going through a form and a ritual. They're in an awful, awful situation. They are distressed city and they, 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 they're anticipating. He says this, yet will I distress Ariel and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. Oh, listen, God's going to bring them to a place of brokenness. You know, sometimes God has to bring us to a place of sorrow and heavy burden before we ever look to the Lord. Remember, there's a, I, I preach a message about the stranger who came at midnight. The Bible said there was a man, he went to bed, and he's in bed, and a friend comes to him at midnight and knocks on the door. And he said, let me in. I have to have bread. And he said, I can't get up now. I'm here with my family. I've got a bed made. We're comfortable. And he said he, he continued persistently to knock. And finally he gets up and goes to get bread. My dear friend, sometime you and I or get settled in and we're comfortable. And it's not until that midnight hour when that stranger comes or when that friend comes during the middle of the night and he reminds us of some things. First of all, when that stranger knocked on that door and he said, give me bread, he, he awoke him out of his slumber. And across America, God's people are asleep. Did you read? I read that passage of scripture. The Bible said, God said, I'll send sleepiness upon them. They are dull of hearing. They won't hear the word of God. They're just sleepy around the house of God. It's kind of a standing joke about people going to sleep when the preacher's preaching. And I joke about it myself. But isn't it a sad thing when that happens spiritually? 
The Bible said it's a high time to awake thou that sleepest. And here they are sleeping. They have to wake up that man. That stranger wakes up that man. And God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake you up. He said, I'm going to wake you up with sorrow. I'm going to wake you up with heaviness. And sometimes it's a wake-up call when tragedy comes in our community. Sometimes it's a, tra- it's a wake-up call when tragedy comes in our families. What did it show? It woke him out of slumber, but also it revealed a need. He said, I don't have any bread. I have no bread. He looked in all his cupboards and he said, I have no bread. And so he has to go down the road to, to get bread. Oh, listen, I don't have any bread. And sometimes when heartache comes and sorrow comes, it reminds us that we are empty on the inside. Oh, we're going through a form and a ritual, but we're empty. And God said, that's what he's going to do to Israel. You keep on doing your sacrifice, everything. He said, but I'm going to send sorrow. I'm going to send heaviness. You'll find out that that religion that you got, that little bit of showing up on Sunday morning for church, that's not going to carry you through that. You're going to have to have something tough. Oh, Daniel, the Bible said they plotted against Daniel. And they said, let's find out something. Charge him up. You know what they charged him up? They charged him up praying. But the Bible said when they, they put a death sentence on anybody that would pray, the Bible said he went up toward heaven and his windows were open toward Jerusalem. You know what Daniel did? Daniel didn't wait till times got tough to open the window. He'd already had the window open. The window to heaven was already open. And brother, you better not wait till tragedy comes to open the window of heaven. You better not wait till the, till the sorrow comes in the night, the heaviness comes in the night to seek God. My dear friend, Israel had the windows closed. They were asleep. They were going through religious activity, but they didn't have any real communion with the Lord. Oh, he said, there's a, there's that, that distress of them. And he said, not only is that true of the, of the city, but he said, it's true of all the prophets. And he said, listen, he talks about these, these prophets. And he said, notice in verse four, uh, verse 10, and the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes and the prophets and your rulers and the seers have he covered and the vision of all that is becoming to you in, in the word of the book that is sealed. He said, he said, I've, I've, I've put this veil over you. He said, you can't understand the word of God. He said, you're not listening. You won't respond to the truth of the word of God. Oh, they're in a mess. But can I show you the ultimate reason for all of this judgment? Look with me quickly down at verse 13. I think it's unique. And I, I don't mean to say that all through the Bible, that the arrangement of the chapters of the verses is inspired of the Lord. I believe, but I do believe God. I believe in divine preservation. I believe God puts it all together. But it's unique to me that how many times the number 13 in the Bible, which is the number for rebellion, each number has a significant value. One is the number of God. Two is the number of testimony. Three is the number of the Trinity. Four is the number of the earth, north, south, east, and west. Five is the number of grace. Six is the number of man. Antichrist is, is in, incarnate wickedness. He is 666, just like God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Seven's the number of completion. Eight's the number of new beginning. Thirteen is the number of rebellion. Interesting, we started with 13 original colleges, isn't it? The number of rebellion. And look at verse number 13 and notice what happens. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips they do honor me and have, but have moved their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Now, here's a situation of a religious group of people. And he said, they honor me with their lips and with their mouth. They talk a good game. 
They are a Baptist, Assembly of God, Church of God, Pentecostal, everything. And they know all the words. They know how to talk. They talk. And he said, not only that, he said, the fear of the Lord is taught by the precept of men. That it has been, the, the term is wrote, that they have just learned it by repetition. They've learned how to, when to say amen. They've learned how to act. They learn how to act religious. But it's all a show and a sham. He said, because they have removed their heart far from me. He commands them in the word of God. He says in the, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. And here's, here's the message for this morning. We've got heart trouble. The problem with America is heart trouble. The problem with our churches and with us as individuals is a heart trouble. We've removed our heart far from him. Our mouths still say the words. Our feet still take us through religious activities. But it's our heart that's the problem. Our heart is removed far from him. We have learned the doctrine. We've learned the words. We know how to repeat it. And the fear of the Lord, Lord is taught by the precept of man. But he said the heart's not in it. You don't have that real heartfelt thing. Let me show you a verse. You have the book of Isaiah. Turn a little bit toward the New Testament and find the book of Ezekiel chapter 33. Find the book of Ezekiel chapter 33. And let me share with you verse number 31. He said in chapter 33 of the book of Ezekiel, verse 31, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. He said they come and sit and they listen and they act like they like it. But they will not do my word. They will not do the word of God because their heart's not right. And he said they go out after their own covetousness. They don't go out to serve God. They don't go out to do what God wants to do. Why? Because the heart's not in it. Oh, listen. The Lord Jesus said, they came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment? He said, here it is. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. You'd love him. And here's the truth of the matter. We can do all the sacrifice we want to. We can go year to year, day to day. We can keep up. We can go through all the motions. We can talk the talk. But he knows the condition of our heart kind of hearts how's your heart this morning a lot of you here physically but do you have a heart that's drawn to the savior can you hear amazing grace how sweet the sound or can you hear a song like that about he grew the tree and your mind not go back to calvary and think about what he did for you and how he redeemed you and how he saved you and your heart just bubble over oh listen let me hasten on that was 700 years ago 
before Christ was born, 700 years before Christ ever came, he said, their heart's far from me. When Jesus Christ was on the earth, he said, well, did Isaiah say that you serve him with your lips, but your heart's far from me. That's when Christ was here. But go with me now to the day we're living in. And it's pictured for us in the book of Revelation. Turn real quickly to the book of Revelation in chapter number two. In chapter number two, I want you to listen to this. In Revelation chapter 2, this is the immediate, this is now. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Now I know some of you who, who studied the word of God, you understand that all these seven churches are panorama church history. And you understand that this is a certain part of the, the church age. But also, you also understand that all these churches can be applied to each of our situations in the year that we're living in now currently. Look at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. How thou canst not bear them that are evil. Thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. And has borne, has patience. And for my name's sake hath labored and not fainted. What's well, a good church, isn't it? Well, it's a faithful church. They labor and they stand for the truth and they can't, they can't stand sin. They, they don't tolerate sin. They'll preach against sin. They go through all the motions. But notice what he said, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You know what? He sees all that they're doing. And he said, that's wonderful. But he said, there's something about you that I've got against you. Here's what it is. You've left your first love. That first love is not sowing, and that first love is not, it's not any kind of activity. That first love is a person. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. And consequently, he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Listen, they, they, they have sometimes, sometimes... And this church is a good example. You can be in love with the work of the Lord, but have fallen out of love with the Lord of the work. They're doing good things, but their heart's not right. Heart's not right. My dear friend, that first love, that joyous love, I mean, when their heart was just overflowing, when they couldn't control their tears, when they couldn't control the fact that they were lost and on their way to hell and he saved them. Gave them boy, and when they were just overflowing, it was a joyous love. Joyous love. I mean, when you, get, when you first get saved and your sins are all gone, man, you don't think about what you got to do. You just enjoy doing what you do. Every bit of it. I mean, every day, morning, noon, and night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's just a joy of the Lord in your heart. I mean, when he saved you, boy, that love was just a wonderful thing and you just enjoyed it. Remember when you used to be in love? When you first had that first love? Oh, listen, that, that was a communicating love. You, you had to just talk. You remember how you used to go off on a date and just as soon as you got home, you turned around and called? The, the one you just, you, you just on the date with and you want to talk to them all the time. You want to communicate with them. But I like that old song, How Long Has It Been? Since you talked with the Lord, how long has it been? 
since she just really talked with him, just had an overflowing love with him, and just, I mean, didn't come to ask him for anything, but just fellowship with him, just talk with him. My dear friend, their heart was far from him, and he knew that. Hey, listen, he said, remember. You ought to remember back how it used to be, how you used to go to the house of God joyfully. Man, listen, the singing was great, and the preaching was great, the fellowship was great, and you just enjoyed the good blessing of the Lord. You couldn't get over it. Man, there's just that joy there. And you're excited about wanting to do something for God. It wasn't, a, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a drudgery. It wasn't a duty. It was a delight to serve the Lord. But he said, your heart's got cold. Your heart's got away from me. And he said, you ought to remember that. Remember those joyous days. I wonder this morning, do you feel in your heart that same love for him you had when he first saved you? Do you do what you do because your heart's overwhelmed with love? And he said, here's how you get it back. Number one, you've got to remember. Remember back. Remember what it used to be. Remember back. Remember that joy that you had in the Lord. And then he said, you have to repent. Now, what do you mean repent? I mean, he means to turn back to that. Turn back to that. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I've been so involved in work and, and this, that, and the other. And God, I hadn't really loved you like I ought to. I like that. I love, we sing a lot of songs at special times of the year that we'll never sing again. I don't know why. I like that song, I Serve a Risen Savior. He's in the world today. And it says this, He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. How long has it been since you walked and talked with him? Just fellowship with him and you felt the felt his presence. Our hearts get cold and we get distant from him and we have to have a touch from God. Remember, and what you'll do, you'll re- if you'll turn back and say, God, I hadn't loved you like I ought to. God, re- rekindle in me that love that I had one time. Repent. And then he said, redo, redo, repent and, and do the first works. Now, he's already listed a lot of works they were doing. So it's not religious activities looking for. What's that first work he did? It's that love of courtship. It's that love of telling him how much you love him. It's that, it's that first work of spending time with him and loving him and expressing that love to him and worship. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to come back and worship him. And fall fresh in love with Jesus. Will you bow your heads for prayer?